you know, Swamp Thing's not such a bad guy. You know? <laughs> like, Maybe we should let him. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of the End Podcast. We'd like to talk about comics, and we'd like to talk about films, and on the other occasions, some TV stuff as well. And sometimes we just record our feelings, so you know that you're not alone. <laughs> this week, we are continuing with the breakdown of the source material behind... James Gunn's proposed DCU slate. Now, if you're a regular listener, we're looking at you, Brussels. We're looking at you, Ashburn. Uh, you'll know that this is part three of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, the saga of the Swamp Thing. So if you want to hear a bit more about this, then there's two other episodes and you can go and find them on whatever listening location you are looking at now. We also recently uploaded a episode about All-Star Superman and we also have Wonder Supergirl. 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 <laughs> and with that, that little slice of deliciousness that just jumped right in there, that is my regular <laughs> co-host Tim. Tim, how are you doing? Oh man, I'm doing great. Nice to see you, Matt. Oh man, I'm excited to talk about this and it's going to be back. Yeah, I'm excited to tear it a new arsehole as well, too. (laughs) 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 And uh, that little chuckle monster number two in the background. It is. It is. How did we get his? Yeah, how did we get here? Master of ceremonies. It's Joe Bucket. How are you, Joe? Hey, how's it going, guys? That's a that's yeah. a long story, so we'll keep it for maybe another episode of <laughs> how do we get here? How do I get here? Anyway, anyone who's listened to this show knows uh, kind of where my origins are when it comes to doing recording podcasts and stuff, because the first thing I ever did was here with uh, Matt and you guys. So it's always yeah. nice to come back. And uh, I mean, we always have a good time. I think uh, we have good chemistry together. So, man. Like, I just listened to the Superman episode yesterday, and man, can we turn shit to gold. It's awesome. (laughs) such a good episode. I I highly recommend everyone go go listen to that episode, because there's some great uh, little little Uh, gems. We dropped a few little good bombs. Yeah. The episode's a lot better than the comic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was, because it takes, sometimes it takes me a little while to edit the podcast. Sometimes we, in my yeah. time in Old Blighty, I can, we can stop recording about four o'clock in the afternoon and I'll do it all the day and I can be doing it till about 10 o'clock on Sunday. But a lot of the time, I probably think now I'm in a position where I can do like one hour probably equals two hours. So if we take for an hour, it's two hours, so on and so forth. And I was laughing all the way through editing that one. I was laughing when I listened back to it on SoundCloud. And again, when I listened back to it on Spotify, just to make sure everything was as it should be. And also to get us a free metric. (laughs) And then then I changed my email address the first time. And then I changed my email address the second time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a great episode. It was a lot of fun. Actually, there's one point in it when we really <laughs> sort of get off the beaten track. And I think I'm going to 
there's a bit in one of the in the first Swamp Thing episode as well, and I'm going to do superhero sex explained Superman, superhero <laughs> sex explained Swamp Thing. <laughs> so if that hasn't wet your whistle, well, if it has wet your whistle, then yeah, go back and have a listen to the the first part of the Swamp Thing episodes we did, and also the Superman one. Right to the task at hand. I said we've split this up into three parts. The first one, I was a little bit underwhelmed. There was some really nice story bits in there. There was great sort of meta-commentary onto American fears and how that was converted to this American Gothic storyline. But I felt that it didn't quite have, it didn't quite connect with me. The second one, absolutely loved it. Primo comics, absolutely fucking bummed it. This one, (laughs) (laughs) not so. What, What did you, what were your general thoughts about this one? My thoughts were this was somewhere in the middle between what I thought about the first section and the second section. I, like you, thought that the first section was somewhat underwhelming. And I, and at the time, thought, why is this considered like uh, one of the mm. Mount Rushmore comics, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, the second one, I kind of got it. The third one, I'm in the middle. Some of it was really excellent. Mm-hmm. Some of it really confused me, and some of it I was like, there's so many little points here that could have been developed that are just dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in general, I was somewhere in the middle. I'll just leave it at that. We can get into the details. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, definitely uh, book five, which would be the first half of the third deluxe, <laughs> I thought was was really solid. It yep. continued with quality. Then, yep. if you do your research and stuff, you see that Alan Moore was slowly leaving the series, right? Where he mm. would let the writers kind of dictate where the story would go more, and he would write around yeah, their so ideas and stuff. Yeah, let the artists, yeah, dictate. He would just write a script based on what their interests were with the character and stuff. And you can mm. see that a little more in book six, I find, where it gets a little more, like I say, it goes way more sci fi, uh, yeah, less yeah. horror, and definitely, definitely entrenches itself hard into sci-fi maybe a little sci-fi horror but definitely into the sci-fi so the first half of this was great picks up like john wick does the last page of john wick 2 is the first page of john wick 3 sort of thing and that's what this does really really good really happy to see them have you know the sort of post-mortem of the events of the end of the second one which was exceptional mm-hmm. storytelling and then he comes back and he finds out that uh, abigail has been seconded by the law because she's been making whoopee with a swamp creature. And he comes back to find this. And and that was, and obviously all hell breaks loose. That part of it was great, carefully thought of. It dips its toe into magical realism, whereas you accept that there is a swamp thing, but then at the same time, you have actual repercussions that would be considered in, in our world. So that part of it was great. The first instances where he's doing his planet hopping, sci-fi stuff, loved that. And then it gets yeah. sort of like this fucking existential ethereal storyline, which is done almost entirely in prose. And from that point to the end of this is some of the worst comics I have ever fucking read in my entire <laughs> fucking life. To the point, I learned a trick, right? There's so much gobble- gobbledygook that is written. So, And also there's too much text on every page. I would say it's over 15% text which doesn't sound a lot, but if you actually think about what that is on an actual page, it's a heck of a lot of space, like maybe 15, 20% of its text. It's overwritten. Here's a trick to anybody that wants to read that part of 
Swamp Thing. In each text box, read the first sentence and move to the next, because there's the first sentence that basically supports what's actually happening, and then it goes into, and I learned this from Tim, it's a great um, use of words, then it's just purple prose afterwards. It's just nonsensical waffling. By the time it got to the Mobius chair and fucking dark side, I wasn't even reading anything. I was looking at the pictures. I've got an understanding of what's going on. And then they, when they got back to terra firma, I was kind of had enough. And I thought, well, this is just like a romantic conclusion and everything's tied up nice with a little bow and everybody's happy. He wrestles an alligator. I like that bit. But that part was so exhaustingly circumlocutive and verbose that I... I forgot how much I liked the first half of this. It was so bad. And I've read silly comics. I've read comics that were just pelted out. Like there was a Generation X that was done about 2016-17. I always talk about CM Punk's track. Um, when you look at things like R.L. Stein did a man thing, which is kind of um, relevant, not relevant, but like keeping on that sort of realm. They're just poor comics done for the sake of producing the comic. This is one of the worst things I've ever read. It was horrible. I completely agree. I loved the first half of, as Joseph, in our version, volume five, where he, he goes to New York, or sorry, to Gotham. That's Gotham, New York. Yeah. <laughs> and um, just wreaked complete havoc. I love that part. It was great. It was interesting. It had thematic depth about how people reacted to, to Gotham being taken over. They're just like fucking in the street, climbing trees and stuff. And it was like, great. <laughs> Lex Luthor coming in and killing him. That was awesome too. Like when he and Abigail, when she's released finally, and he they're rushing towards one another and he's just annihilated. They earned that basically. 100%. I thought it was really, really good. And I even love the first couple iterations of him world jumping. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. good. Really yeah. good. And then as you say, like, at a certain point where Alan Moore is kind of receding from production, it becomes completely inscrutable. I didn't really understand or care and i like you like i'm just not going to read this prose i just like looked at some stuff flipped the pages trying to figure yeah. out what was going on it was so exhausting that all the goodwill that had been built up over like exactly however many issues that we've read so far from the beginning i'm just nah i'm not i'm not doing it this poll runs about what about 40 issues i'd say okay so i read with love 37 issues or 36 issues and when you get to that point i'm just i don't know i just don't have it yeah, yeah. it's horrible yeah. concentrating on the the gotham part for a second what we had at that point was we've been on this this journey with the character and we've read i know the, the first part was a little while ago but these two there's not been too much space between the two episodes really we, we put the superman in the middle of it as well and i felt like i'd been on especially where we left it after this the middle third I felt like I'd been on this emotional journey and the growth of the characters and the perception of Swamp Thing. The Justice League are happy to use him when they need to, but not acknowledge him when they don't. And there's that sort of great torment, not of the character, but as a reader. This guy is a world saver all the time. He doesn't get any credit. The way that Constantine saw something in him in that second, in the middle third, and then the way that progressed to him being, again, saving the world. From that, we see this fully formed, fully rendered force of nature. He can dominate a whole city with his tendrils of arboriculture. And he turns into this huge kaiju character. And then he used the wood or like some, even like a kind of German in the floorboards to go into the office of the guy that's put Abigail, Abigail Brand in prison for, we mm -hmm. said, making whoopee with a swamp creature. And he was this completely, almost wretched and bridled 
again, force of nature. And then at the point where Lex Luthor, because he shoots him through the head to knock him back, doesn't he? And then he napalms him. So as yeah. a reader, we're thinking he hasn't had a chance to transfer his conscience to another part of Gotham or America or the world, or as it turns out, the universe, to, to reconstruct himself because he wasn't quick enough in thought to be able to do that. And I went to the next page because I was like, oh, everyone's like Swamp Thing's dead. And I had to go back three pages. I was like, no, he can't be. He can't be. Like that turn of the page was so impactful to the point where mm -hmm. Professor X dies in A versus X and Cyclops toasts him when he's corrupted by the Phoenix Force. And I'm just thinking, oh, you know, that's just going to kick things up a level. Next issue, they're all mourning Professor X. And I'm going back like th to the last issue to think, holy shit, Cyclops killed Professor And it was so impacting. That first mm -hmm. story arc, it summed up for me everything that we'd been building to at that point. It was really, really exciting to see. The entire time we see he's a very earnest, calm, mm. like reticent hero. That's how he defeats the, well, I forget what the, what the entity was in the second volume. By going in there, not threatening him, but being mm. calm, thoughtful. And that's his whole character throughout. So it's interesting to see that finally you can see how fully powerful he is. That's how great and powerful he really is when he takes over Gotham. I thought it was interesting to see what brings him to that point and really what he can achieve when he really lets loose. So I thought that was really, uh, really kind of cool to see. You know, it, during that part where he takes over Gotham, he's aware, he's conscious of the fact that, you know, he's violating the advice that the Parliament of Trees gave him about beware of anger, beware of your power. And so he's aware of that. There is an inner conflict that he has. And I thought that was, that was um, also earned. That section was excellent. And it was nice that Constantine was there in the background as well. Pretty much his last appearance, right? More or less? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of his uh, outro. He does make an appearance on The Other World where Swamp Thing creates that world for Abigail. Trevor, but yeah. that's not really Constantine. So, it's him recreating yeah. a semblance of his old life. Right. That was yeah. great, I thought. It was really, but really good. I like the way they do the setup to introduce, let's say, the Batman character, Gotham. Abigail gets caught on film with Swamp Thing and she's ostracized. So she wants to go somewhere, a big city where she can just disappear into the mass of people and the way they set it up how she gets arrested there's a warrant for her arrest and she just happens to be talking to some street girls and then mm, the cops are there to bust it and it's just happenstance then she's in prison and then swamp thing shows up like where is she the, the apartment's empty it doesn't look like it's been lived in for for such a long mm -hmm. time but then you got uh, the detective bollock he's always his usual like, despicable douchey self you know like, yeah um... like greasy sandwich <laughs> spilling all over the freaking yeah. disgusting teeth oh. yeah <laughs> and that's great yeah then swamp thing you know starts losing his shit right when he finds out abigail's gone and finds out she's rested and he hightails it to gotham and that's where like it gets really interesting like you said mm -hmm. he makes yeah. a little appearance in arkham asylum he gets i like the callbacks in this to like characters from previous stories you yeah, have yeah, yeah. uh the other creature i forget his name now uh, the other professor that's like a swamp plant creature. He oh, runs into him in yeah, Arkham yeah, Asylum. Yeah. yeah, and then you have the guy who leaves his the wife floronic and girlfriend. Man. Floronic man. Yeah, floronic man. Right. You yep. have a callback to the biologist that deals that... with the psychedelics. You know, oh, and he, yeah, 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 yeah. he goes to Gotham because he's like, oh, this is where the swamp thing. So you have all mm -hmm. these characters that swamp thing has affected all migrating towards Gotham. 
because they know yeah, that's yeah, where the yeah. where swamp thing is and so you get all these callbacks to all these characters from the first two thirds of of this mm-hmm. book which I, I love i love that about the story um <clears throat> and that panel where swamp thing first makes his appearance when abigail's in in court yeah totally such a beautiful splash page beautiful some yeah, great, great artwork like the artwork the splash pages are beautiful the language that alan moore uses especially specifically for the batman character he always mm-hmm. refers to gotham as my city not our city my city my streets my bruce wayne is this millionaire and he feels like he like almost like he owns gotham he's not mm-hmm. part of a community he's like He's the, he's the king at the top of his tower looking down on everything, and it's mine. I decide mm. what goes on here. Not the cops, not Swamp Thing, me. It's kind of, I don't know if this is a British view of the character of Batman. Like, Garth Ennis is, uh, has a similar kind of view of Batman, how he's not really a doer of good or for the people. You know, like, mm. he beats down on the lower classes and stuff like that, like, because because poverty tends to lead to crime so batman's yeah, often beaten yeah. up like the poor and unfortunate you know and yeah, yeah. and i find the language it's subtle but i find it definitely echoes that sentiment the way swamp thing when he takes over in the vegetation it, it almost makes gotham a better place mm-hmm. because now the poor have food people who mm-hmm. couldn't afford to it's abundant everywhere people are just right, 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 off yeah. eating and people are more joyous there's less crime even the cops, when they're like, hey, what's this? And he starts loading yams into his uh, trunk to bring home. And then they take a bite and they start tripping. I mean, there's so many great moments. So many great moments in this. Uh, I think it's three issues, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and is that, that only one? In the scene where fucking Swamp Thing puts Batman in his place. He yeah. shows up with yeah. that flamethrowers. Look, it's my town. And then Swamp Thing's like, well, you have Abigail. So it's not your town until you give me Abigail back and beats the mm. shit out of him. Beats yeah. him to a bloody pulp where he's almost needs to be hospitalized, right? And that's where mm. Batman kind of softens. You know, he goes mm. back and be like, you know, Swamp Thing's not such a bad guy. Commissioner Gordon, like, maybe we could, uh, you know, like. Like, what's so bad about Abigail and him being together, you know? Yeah, like... yeah. And then it gives, like, the per exemplar of what happens if if Superman marries Lois Lane. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, right. yeah. And they, they kind of play off that. It's pretty, it's good. Uh, I love this story. It was great. And he's not really punishing anyone but the people in power. Because mm-hmm. everyone else in the streets gets almost euphoria. There's a cult that begins. People worshipping yeah. him as a god. You know, so you can see how that would rub Bruce Wayne, Mr. Playboy yeah, billionaire. Yeah. Like now, who's the top dog in town? Yeah, Not Mr. Yeah. Bruce Wayne anymore. It's Swamp Thing, you know? And, and how there's no more crime for him to fight. You know, it's like yeah, exactly. he has no role. Yeah. And the city comes to a standstill. It regresses to a better state where industry mm-hmm. no longer rules the city. It's nature. I think and that then, was the course, point by which as well that Abigail first gets agency to her character because in the succeeding few issues she brings in what's it a character from the end of the Floronic Man art there's a lady that's basically not held captive but she's been emotionally manipulated to fear everything and she's not allowed outside and then she basically escapes that's yeah. the issue right after the Batman one they, they touch yeah. on that yeah that's the issue and I I don't know if you read the the back matter or is it in the forward anyway I don't know but Alan Moore or is it no John actually goes into what influenced that story and that was actually based on one of Alan Moore's aunts where the uncles secluded her and when he passed away 
the family went and tried to get her to reintegrate her into society and she was like paranoid and afraid of anything so that's that's wow. kind of inspired or based off his aunt so no that kidding. whole story that's issue 54 is actually yeah what was the original story with him and with her and the and is it dennis is that her husband i thought it was the floronic man arc yeah i thought it came after that but i can't and were they just it. like friends of uh abby is that is that yeah it was? Exactly. I can't remember, like, yeah either. okay yeah like they go into hiding right because is it the arcane floronic yeah, man is yeah. after them so they go into hiding saying we got to stay oh yeah and yeah he uses that as a because she's a she's a journalist i think right a really good one as well. And so Expose he takes, editorial writing. Exactly. So he uses that situation, benefits from that situation, exploits it to take total control over her and her life. Right, where right. he can't shower unless he tells her to. It's such a dark twist. And, and I thought it was and, really cool when he starts coming after her. Some of the art in that is really good. And yeah, I was yeah. so satisfying when he gets destroyed by the alligators or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you think that alligator is a callback to the uh, little alien? Uh, oh, <laughs> do you yeah. think it's the same alligator? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many callbacks in all these stories. The earlier stuff that I was like, hmm, I wonder if that's like a subtle little callback <clears throat> to the little alien story. And that's yeah. the same alligator. He just likes to chomp people, you know? If you look at the part in the courthouse when Swamp Thing first appears, he appears from the Bunch of Roses, which is quite similar how he reappears at the end of the story where he is basically enacting his revenge on people from the illegitimate incarceration of Abigail. And he starts to smother people with the roses. There's a nice kind of symmetry between how he appears in each of the instances. Um, Again, Mm -hmm. I think this is the first part of the story where Abigail really starts to have agency and she's making decisions. She's not just an accoutrement to Mm -hmm. Swamp Thing. She's making decisions. She's driving the plot forward as opposed to things happening around her and her reacting to it. That was good to show her as a character of strength. Then it goes really sci-fi, right? So he basically appears on this blue planet. And again, we have a really good example of his appearance relating to the the local Abora culture, like when he went to Brazil to see the Parliament of Trees. So um, he is, of course, devastated that he can't get to Abigail or even tell her that he's okay. And, you know, he misses her dearly so instead he creates a a, an abigail out of whatever the plant matter is on this blue planet and it's cool because you can see that it's like what is it called simulacrum you know what that word simulacrum like a i've never said it out loud so i'm trying to like (laughs) say it Uh, i've only ever read it um he creates an abigail out of this plant matter who is close but not quite there he says the eyes are perfect the smile the whole time throughout he's the smiles off there's always this thing in the head he can't quite replicate it and then to make sure that she's in the proper context he creates an entire town i can't remember the name of the town in louisiana that she lives in but he recreates the entire main street and people that can populate it using people from his memory to populate the city including alec holland that's sort of like his activity on that blue planet until he basically goes insane there great issue the first yeah. instance, he's playing chess against himself, and it goes fifth yeah. game to yeah. draw, the sixth game to draw, and, until he gets bored of that. Do you think his conscience was split between all the separate individuals that he creates, the golems, or do you think that it's more puppetry at that stage? As well, when he was in concubine with his avatar of 
Abigail. He sees himself through her eyes as well. So he almost has like a split conscious. Do you think, because that would be overwhelming if he was putting himself in all the individual characters of the town. Throughout the series, he's connected to the plant world. He nourishes it, right? But then it becomes its own thing. He plants the seed and from there he can kind of dictate where it'll go, but he doesn't necessarily control it. That's why Abigail isn't perfect because the seed starts and he guides it, but you can only guide it so far. Just like when you raise children or anything else, there's only so much you can do. He wants Abigail, but there's only one Abigail and you can only, you know, make it look like her. And he only has so much control to a certain point. He can't stop them from growing the cars and stuff. He makes them and then they keep growing and like flowers start coming out of it so then it ruins the illusion yeah but he doesn't then, have control over that right so that's yeah, where yeah. he and constantine are at odds so that just kind of supports what you're saying about can create it to a certain extent but then it kind of flowers on its own but you know yeah. constantine basically tells him he's stupid like what are you doing yeah. and swamp thing kind of gets irritated with constantine the children's a great analogy you create them but then they you have only so much control over them. DNA, they share so much in common with you, but, you know, life experiences is what forms a person. And without those life experiences, you know, each person, one minor little thing can change Mm -hmm. a person's trajectory dramatically, right? So Mm -hmm. without those, you know, it'll never be exactly the same. I saw, when he was embattled with Constantine, I saw it was almost a sort of manifestation of like the ego and the superego. Yeah, yeah. Or like the, was it the id, the ego, the super ego, that kind of thing? Like, yeah, a person in conflict so, with themselves. I mean, cl- yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Your brain is not your friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, totally, dude. And, you know, he cracks in the end. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Poor, poor yeah. plant Abigail gets her block knocked off, her head <laughs> just punched right off. Yeah, wow. Brutal. No, it's yeah. vicious. Yeah. yeah. And also, you, you can't tell me at that point, right? He successfully made, su- successfully made one Abigail. <laughs> you ain't telling me there's nobody watching. If he's made one Abigail, he's making two Abigails, three Abigails, maybe even four <laughs> or five Abigails. <laughs> and, he's, and he lines up the townsfolk to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Cheering him on. Go on, get some. <laughs> Get some <laughs> clapping in, <laughs> <laughs> and I I love the design too of Abigail. How her all the flowers makes her hair and everything fantastic. Where I think the story starts to go downhill a little bit. I, I, mean, I was just about to say yeah, that's the yeah. kiss of death. This issue is the kiss of death for the series, right? Yeah. Because from there, mm-hmm. My Blue Heaven is probably the last issue that I thought was compelling, fun to read, echoed the whole series their relationship he brings back all these characters that he maybe think that he'll never be able to get to see again like constantine the town Mm. and then it just then it starts with story. i thought it was going to be a good beginning to another maybe three four issue arc Mm. but they just drop it like at the end like basically adam strange is like i don't know what they were doing i guess it's a mystery and then they just leave it I thought that was a two-issue throwaway story. It was fine, but in comparison to the rest of the series, I mean, I could have lived without it. Standing alone, I, I liked them until they basically abandoned it. You're right, uh, though. It has no bearing on the overall, like, Swamp Thing story. If I'm not mistaken, Rick Veach takes over completely the story after Alan Moore leaves. 
I think he has a 25 issue run, if I'm not mistaken, Rick Beach after Alan Moore. And I think oh, wow. that's probably one of the stories he was interested in or introduced. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, I didn't really care for that one. That was the warning sign when I opened book six. Yeah, yeah. It took me probably as long to read those two stories as it did to read mm. the, the whole the whole oh, book wow. five. And then issue 59 is the return to form. Arcane comes back from hell to torment Abby with mm. through the father, the Frankenstein father figure. Uh, I didn't like, understand that. What was the Frankenstein's the actual father? The patchwork man. The patchwork man is her father, right? So yeah. yeah. But that's Arcane manipulating it from from hell. I, don't, and I guess then I don't I, know who Patchwork Man is. Is that a character in DC generally? I don't know if it's purpose, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I find a return form of, you know, the the manipulation, the paranormal or supernatural kind of element. Then they pepper in Abigail. Where she's working and there's these mundane, yeah, not mundane, yeah. but real world issues of the guy yeah. working at the home, dealing with the supernatural things going on and the juggling act of trying to live a normal life, the balance of the two. I don't know, maybe more had more involvement in mm -hmm. the writing of this one compared to some of the others because it felt much more like an alan moore story this mm -hmm. one issue. yeah 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 completely it kind of harkens back to some of the better issues in the first uh, third i thought oh, exactly in fact, what i was now, thinking now that I'm looking at it, it's uh, Stephen Bissett wrote this one. I think this is oh, the really? first time he's actually taken a shot at writing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, that was a very good issue. When he was planet hopping, because there's another one where he goes to a world where the inhabitants are actually plant life. So he accidentally yeah. takes over numerous inhabitants, sentient beings, and cobbles them together to make himself and creates massive sort of fear and panic. And at that point, I was kind of looking at the way that he was planet hopping. And while it wasn't executed well, I think if we said that the first third was a exploration sort of analogs of American fear in, the, in a sort of an American Gothic way, I think this went from the mass fear to, to kind of an individual's fear because it explores the themes of sort of death, isolation, futility, morality. And just generally being um, understood in the last one where he takes over, unintentionally takes over the planet, there's kind of like an unsolicited agency that he has over people and the, the pressure of having to have responsibility that you didn't ask for. So I think there's mm. this theme of the individual fears that it makes a good juxtaposition for the first thing where it was more kind of like mass fears. You know, throughout this whole set, last book, there it, there is sprinkled in some good issues. That was probably the last one. At that point, it goes into like almost complete prose for a while. I oh, think. Just yeah. Well, the next issue is issue horrible. sixty, issue sixty, where it's hard sci-fi and it's all like prose with the uh, total bin uh, doing mainly splash pages to describe the story, where it's this traveling mechanical organic alien that takes Swamp Thing, and it's almost a serial killer story where it traps him and dissects him and how it takes pleasure and wants to silence his screams so it can enjoy the process and just to reproduce. Right. And mm -hmm. it was such a weird, weird story. I didn't hate it, but man, it's the art is great, but yeah. yeah. The whole thing was kind of corrupt by its own application. I thought it was just so difficult. Yeah. Let me just see if this works. As I said before, this is so overwritten that you can just take the top line of each of the boxes and the story makes more sense. So I'm going to do that now. As yet, if he could have lingered, one box. If he could have seen you, second box. We would have allowed him to see these things, third box. 
Fourth box, could he have loved these lukewarm and peculiar little creatures? Could your father have loved you? Away into the greater black outside, my surface lenses track amongst the burning green star. And that is the story, my small ones. You drift in dream, waiting to enter. Soon you will be growing ready to be flung out. I knew my fate for the first mother's fate. And that reads a lot more concisely and understandable. And with in mind, that's the first line, multiple five, six, seven lines at times. Like I said, circumlocutive, verbose, purple prose, however you want to, whatever words you want to use. Yeah. Just yeah. horrible, horrible to read. So overwritten. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this one was painful to me. It was almost indignant. It felt so long, dude. Oh, my God. It was indignant. And I'm just flicking through the pages now, and I'm like, it's not. Sure. It's not that long. It's actually it can't pretty short. Be that, I'm like, it can't have been that long because it must have taken me like an hour minimum to get through it all. Yeah, it's, and, it's hard. And the art and the prose didn't really add much to it. You know, like I didn't find the two married or elevated one another. I don't know. That's another throwaway issue right there. Yeah, so bad. It's so an experimental bad. issue just thrown in the middle of yeah. the story. Like yeah. for issue number 62, like uh, how does the cover describe it again? Brand new format special price. Uh, I hope the price <laughs> means it's less because probably won't be buying this book anymore after that. <laughs> it definitely, Seriously. And they definitely go with like the sci-fi, more sci-fi font and everything. They kind of mm-hmm. they kind of go away from, and it definitely has that feel like of uh movie posters from the 70s and early 80s you know like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. it kind of missed the mark i didn't even bother with the morbius chair and the dark side thing i thought i know now that it's not gonna have any consequence on the final sort of arc he 100 is gonna end up back on terra firma it was when he becomes the morbius chair and the bloke sits on him i couldn't help but look at the pages and go that's gay as fuck, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it becomes meandering at this point, you know. It's limping towards the finish line. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. I mean, yeah. It's like one of those marathon runners. Well, actually, in the triathlon, um, there was the Brown, I think Brownlee, Brown Tree Brothers, and one of them was like world number one. He was so chasms above his brother, he was world number two. And this is going on like for the best part of five, 10 years. And then his brother was chasms above like the third place. And then it was just like normal racing resume sort of thing. Now his brother mm. beat him in one race. This really famous, if you go on YouTube, it's actually, it, it's a beautiful thing to see. And his brother's pushed himself so far to win. His legs, you know, he gets jelly legs and his arms are gone. And yeah. he's sort of wobbling across the track and he's going backwards three steps and forwards. His brother catches him, puts his arm around him gets him to the finish line, stops, and then pushes his brother, physically pushes him over the line. Oh, wow. And this is the writing of that if he didn't have a brother. (laughs) 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 He he just shits his pants and passes out. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, yeah. Yeah. He actually fits in one more, like the final issue. Abby gets to eat some yams again, and they have their little uh, trippy <laughs> right. sex sex capades from oh, the uh, psychedelic great. yams. He fits in one more uh, like uh, swamp sw- swamp thing. Abigail's sex session after his macho display of crocodile alligator wrestling in the bayou, kind of showing yeah, off no. his uh, his uh, macho ness to Abby, and then he's like, "Yeah, 
see how have a yam, baby. <laughs> have have some of my yams. Yeah, yeah. eat my have yum, your yam eating slut. <laughs> and that close up where she's just like dripping the yam, like on yeah, it. yeah, it's oh. it's all super juicy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, there's a little bit of bum crack on the last page as well. <laughs> oh, and he, there's a little clip of the hand in that one panel too, where you see him slipping his hand under her uh, blouse. Yeah. No. Uh, Oh, you couldn't close okay. out the swamp Alan Moore swamp thing run without uh, some psychedelic yam sack. Oh, yeah. absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, uh, so. Let's wrap it up then. Would you one recommend this start to finish? But before that, would you recommend reading this in isolation? I think I would recommend reading the third part in isolation because I thought the first, let's say, two thirds of it is very good. And then you can kind of do what we did. Yeah, all right, skim, skim. Go back to read the ones that Alan Moore wrote, you know, skim, skim. Because if you skip the ones that he didn't write, you're not thing really. No, um, no not, not a bit. And I would say on the whole, I would absolutely recommend it. I mean, the highs of this of this run are, are among the highest I've ever read in superhero comics. It's tremendous at times. And so, yeah, I would absolutely recommend it. And I, I think it's earned its place among the top of the canon. Yes, I yeah. would. Yeah. I don't think I could recommend this to someone from start to finish. I'm not even sure why they included book six. I guess because mm -hmm. he is involved, he kind of guides the boat. Yeah, without holding the rudder, let's say. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I would definitely recommend to read that book five, definitely mm -hmm. for sure. Include that in it. But book six, I think, is throwaway. You can uh, throw that away. Maybe read the final issue of that book six where they close it out and all the yeah, yeah. characters that he helped and save come back and they you know they get their little farewell to close it out and a nice little bow but definitely that first 50 issues that's what it was meant to be right so mm -hmm. yeah, it was. that's the crux yeah. of it that's the true alan moore is issue mm -hmm. at, what was it starts in 21 or 20 something like that around the mid 20s or 25 anyway all the way to issue 50 that 25 issue run is the meat and potatoes of the Alan Moore run. So if you're going to do mm -hmm. it, read those. That's mm -hmm. excellent. Every comic fan should read that. And mm -hmm. and this is the burgeoning of, of Vertigo comics. This is where mm -hmm. the roots, no pun intended, were came from for Vertigo mm -hmm. comics with uh, Karen Berger and everything. Like, this is it. This is, this is what spawned mm -hmm. the whole Vertigo line is thanks to... Uh, the collaboration of uh, Alan Moore with uh, Karen Berger. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. without those two working on Swamp Thing, I don't think we'd ever see Vertigo Comics at DC. No. So it's definitely yeah. an enjoyable read for yeah. the, let's say, uh, what is it, six total? So mm -hmm. five sixths of it was an incredibly enjoyable read. And yeah, the yes. last yeah. of it was, uh, you know, <sighs> I don't know. It is tedious to read that last one. I mean, so tedious. I'll be I'll be honest, but the, the rest was excellent. Yeah. The introduction of Constantine as a character, you know, he gets his yes. first appearance in Swamp Thing. Yeah. What is it, issue 37, I believe, or something like that? I don't remember the exact issue, but first appearance of Constantine, who becomes a staple in the DC universe. So, I mean, there's a lot of great things happening in this book. If you're a DC fan and you haven't read it, then, uh, I mean, you should, because it's a classic. Yeah. You're so right about that. Constantine ends up kind of anchoring Vertigo. It has to be the longest-running Vertigo series, I would think. Because Constantine started, Vertigo hadn't existed when the run first started. And oh, they okay. got switched to Vertigo yeah. after. I think, I don't remember how many issues they did. Then they decided, <laughs> okay, 
So I think it had to do with the comics code, right? They wanted to circumvent having to deal with the comics code to give the writers more freedom with their mm. stories. So they started a mature line, which was called Vertigo, where then that's what inspired the whole Vertigo line was to circumvent the comics code. Yeah, I um I always wrongly assumed that DC bought Vertigo, but no, they they actually created it. That's um I think do you think that's a popular misconception? Uh I don't, I don't no, know. I no. I've always thought I was I, I guess I didn't know the origins, but I always thought that DC created Vertigo is my sort of like general okay. thought on it. I don't know what generally people think about that. So only dum dums over here then is what you're basically saying to. I appreciate yeah, that's what, what I'm saying. saying. <laughs> that's definitely what I'm saying. Would you like to know what I think about it? Yes, I would. Go yeah. and ask me then. So, what Matt, do you think about this, Matt? What's it got to do with you? What would... <laughs> well, too, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> yeah, I'd recommend it. Not the last bit. There we go. That's what you needed to say. <laughs> yeah, it's been good. It's been a good journey. I like these little yeah. projects that we do, Tim. I like I that this one was in three parts. And we're going to start with Tara, um, Grant Morrison, Batman, which I'm very much looking forward to as well. And I think we have the authority left. So there's a nice little sprinkling of the small runs and the bigger epic size stuff. And whether it's good or bad, I still like talking about it. So I don't know what that says about me. Maybe I'm just a garrulous fellow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just I just enjoy the experience of reading it and taking the notes and reporting back and looking forward to hearing what you two have got to say about it. So yeah, the experience has been good if the issue to issue possibly wasn't all the time. It's also a great time just talking with you guys about it. You know, that's that's like two thirds of the fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Why start the whole thing, right? That's why we do this uh, more or less mm -hmm. is just to have an outlet to discuss these things. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or have people listen and maybe that share uh, the same opinion or have completely opposite views, which I don't know about, Matt, you would know more if uh, people tend to agree with mo what, what you guys talk about most of the time or disagree, but, uh, you know. <sighs> I mean, I don't know. We don't get that much feedback, to be honest with you. We're just happy about Ashburn and Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> we do this for you two. Yeah, basically. If they left us, whoever it might be, if it's it could even be Joe with the VPN, but he's just such a good friend, he'll never tell me. <laughs> I'm actually am looking to get a VPN, so <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah, I just it's just nice that people listen to us and whether or not people come back or whatnot. Oh yeah, at this point, please, if you've got to the if you have stayed with us to indeed the end, then please remember to hit the subscribe, the follow, and let people know. Because I feel like we do a thoroughly good job, and that should be rewarded with platitudes and grandeur. But, you know, otherwise, just, just sling us a follow. That'll, that'll, that'll be quite good. Shall we wrap it up there then, gentlemen? Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Would you like to say farewell to the people Yes, farewell, people, especially our uh, our loyal listeners, and you know, and anyone who's dropping in, please, like Matt said, give us a follow, uh, check out some of our back catalog. It's been a pleasure as always. I'm glad to have finally read this. You know, I've had it on my shelf for years, and I just never yeah, got around yeah, to it. Yeah. So it's it's nice to have done that to have talked with you guys about it. So anyway, thank you to you both, and goodbye, uh, all listeners. Thanks for having me again, guys. Always, always a pleasure. A pleasure. Uh, yeah, we have a, a YouTube uh, channel, 
Graphic Vandalism is the YouTube channel. And we have a show called How'd We Get Here? And actually, we do a little segment with Matt called the uh, Sunday Spank. We did our first episode last mm-hmm. Sunday where we're, yeah, we're covering Deadly Class, the whole run. We're doing the deluxe hmm. editions. Uh, so we have the first episode up. You can go check that out if you want some more uh, Matt and his spanky. lovely charming yeah. self. Yes, Spanky, <laughs> you can go check that out. So yeah, it's Johnny and myself. Do a lot of creator Kickstarter stuff, talk about comics, shows, movies, music. We have a quite a variety of stuff we cover on there. So uh, a little something for everyone. So go check it out. And, uh, and not yeah, least have your a good time. monthly Nicholas Case checks, which I'm sure Tim will be interested uh, Yeah, we have another segment too. We're going to call it Caged Love, where we have <laughs> a cookie. Cookie Monster is a show that we dedicated to her where she gets to pick a Nick Cage movie every month. We watch it and then we uh, do the episode and discuss it. So, Tim, if ever you want to get in on that, whenever we schedule it, I could send it to you and see if you can fit it into your schedule. If that's something oh, you're would interested you? in. I'm like uh, a Nick Cage like, crazy okay. person. I'll keep yeah, you in the loop. Yeah. That's something. Okay. Uh, we're going to, Tara is going to be doing a little monthly segment. So, we're doing, we're trying to include more people in the community. So, friends of the show, we're giving them if they want like a one monthly segment where we do one show with them and we pick a theme and they get to pick what we talk about so we're doing stuff oh, like sweet. that okay nice yeah. 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 Joe, joe's underplaying it he, him and johnny do such a great job on their channel it's such a variety of subjects and, and different types of media i know if even if i wasn't well it was actually true the way i found graphic vandalism before i'd even encountered probably joe or johnny and i was watching that version of it as a fan before I'd even encountered the two lovely gentlemen that they are. So I would heavily recommend everybody goes over to YouTube and clicks on that. Or, you know, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. I'm talking to myself at this point because uh, I'm the only person that listens to the episodes at the end, in which case I'll go and follow it again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the end uh, kind of uh, helps spawn some of that, right? Because yeah yeah if it weren't for that i wouldn't have gotten to sit down with you guys and i met a few people that way and a lot of it was when you had your twitter account matt yeah it was uh, yeah you had that yeah. you had that group of people and a lot of that spawned from that large group of people uh what was yeah, it yeah, called yeah. uh the circle of uh, nerds the council the council of nerds the council, the council, nerds. The council <laughs> of nerds going back now like back to the yeah. good glory days of twitter comics twitter so this yeah. yeah the council of nerds is where i kind of it helped me network into meeting mm-hmm. like people that enjoyed the same things as me. So thank you for that. Cause that was a really good time. That was a really good time. Actually. I think it ran its course a lot like the original version of this podcast did. I was actually thinking this just this week and I'm not just saying this cause I'm in the company of these two fine gentlemen, but I thought that journey and how lucky I am to have, I speak to Joe quite regularly, even when he's not on the podcast. Obviously, I'm with Tim most weeks. Tara, I message with a lot, and I keep in touch with Brian. I've got, like, some legitimate friends out of the whole mm-hmm. experience. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like that part of Twitter was when you're young and everybody's your friend and you see everybody every day at school, and then you get a little bit older and you probably only have four, maybe five true friends. And I feel that's kind of where I am now yeah. without being yeah. an emotional puff ass about it. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's wrap things uh, up there before somebody that, starts crying. <laughs> yeah, I gotta go to a, last, I gotta go last to a thing. soccer game. Yeah, the feeling's mutual, Matt, so. Good, wrap it up, wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's 
only leaves me, your pop culture popping Jay, your comic book bon vivant, to say <laughs> thank you very much to listening to the end. And indeed, we have been, and this is the end. <laughs> Bravo. Oh, great. See you, everyone. Great. Awesome.